So what I'm going to do now today is interesting because I, I, I recorded the class Tuesday night, the Parsha class on Tuesday night, and um, instead of Monday because I was out of town, and then the battery was almost out and it went out in the middle of the recording. Not in the middle, just right at the beginning. So I never did the Parsha class this week. And being that now on Thursday is the Moshiach Matters class, so we're going to make a combo on the Parsha class, Parsha in my life, and Moshiach Matters class, uh, being that it's Parsha in my life, and our lives these days are in the transitioning state between exile and redemption, and already far more leaning towards redemption. So everything is Moshiach, and definitely the Parsha is Moshiach. So uh, Parsha in my life and Moshiach Matters are fused as one, which is really the content of the whole class today, which is all about fusion. Okay. As I said then, I dedicated this class to my wife's birthday, which was on Monday, on Hey Tammuz, Mehashem bless her, with the Gebench the Yersh, Nasbrachan Hatzlacha, and only, only good, 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 happy things revealed good in everything, as we say, lower in the tangible physical world down here. Okay. Um... This week is uh, Parshas Chukas, and um, the date of Shabbos is Yud Tammuz, and it's two days before a very special day called Yud Beis Tammuz, which is a holiday, which is a Hasidic holiday, Yud Beis and Yud Gimel Tammuz. It's the day we discussed it last week on the Monday class, Parsha My Life class, we discussed the significance of Yud Beis Tammuz as being the day that the uh, previous Chabad Rebbe was liberated and, and we had discussed in last class that this is not a personal liberation just for, for a tzaddik which is, would there be a reason to celebrate but it's a real true yamta for the Jewish people because the Rebbe did not go to jail for his own personal, personal uh, even spiritual growth uh, he didn't go to jail for his own personal um, uh, rectification or fight that he was fighting for himself. Uh, he fought for the Jewish people. And the truth is he fought one of the final battles of the exile. Uh, one of the things about the Golos is that the exile is in, the Jewish people are exiled amongst Edom in the world of Esav. And Esav tries to stifle the observance of Torah and mitzvahs. That is part of what he tries to do. He fights a war against God, he fights a war against Torah, and he, fight, and he fights a war against the, 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 the Jewish people. It's all three. The three of them are, are deeply connected. That's possibly the reason why, I'm just, this occurred to me right now, since his war is against these three elements, Hashem, the Torah, and the Jewish people, he creates within himself a spiritual source called the Trinity, which is a power that in a perverted way, fighting the power of holiness of Yidin, the Torah, and Hashem. The last and final, one of the last and final battles in this, to stop observance of Torah mitzvahs, was by the Soviets, who were clearly a descendants of Edom, in which they presented themselves, everything as red, and they fought, um, and they fought and they, in, in Russia, they try to uproot 
completely tried to, to do away with all kinds of Jewish tradition, observance, Torah study, and the like. Previous Chabad Rebbe fought them single-handedly, very powerfully, with an army of Hasidim, in which they spread all over Russia, set up a tremendous underground to fight him, and until they saw that he was the leader, and as a result of that, they would never be able to snuff out Judaism in Russia. They arrested him, and um, first they wanted to kill him, then they, as we spoke about this last week, and then finally at the end, they liberated him completely on the 12th day of Thomas. The Rebbe's victory wasn't only the victory of, and what did that do? That enabled the Hasidim to continue their underground network. Judaism in Russia survived, not only survived, but below the ground in secret, it thrived. And then it came sprouting out with all of its intensity after many years when the Soviet Union collapsed. And as I spoke last week, not only did it collapse miraculously, without a gunfight, without a war, not only that, it retroactively was undone to a certain degree, whatever was in the past. In what sense? That the names of their countries and their statues and so on and so forth that they had put up from Stalin and Lenin and the name of Leningrad, they went and they put it back to Petersburg. In other words, they erased the history of it. That's how deep the previous Rebbe, who's fighting the battle of Kedusha, the battle of Hashem, the battle of holiness for the sake of the Jewish people, won that battle. But last week we discussed that this victory was a victory that combined the supernatural and the natural. It was an interesting blend of the two because the miracle didn't happen where God came and just knocked down the door of the prison and let the Rebbe out. The miracle happened as a, together with nature and it happened, as we spoke, we named last week's class called The Patient Miracle because it worked along with nature. The supernatural and the natural were working together. And that's why it took time. It came stage by stage by stage. And as, if I rem and, if, and as I mentioned in last week's class, that's the indication of the messianic, of, uh, that it has the Moshiach fingerprints on it. As how do we know that this liberation of the previous Chabad Rebbe is Moshiach at its core? It is, it is a messianic element to it. It's part, let's put it, and included and gives the power for the up and coming redemption. How do we know that? Because that's the nature of the Moshiach. Moshiach's redemption. The previous redemption, nature and the godly clashed with each, with each other. So it's e either, either, either one. If you want nature, it will be nature, but that will be an ungodly world. If you want holiness, it will have to come to the world in a manner that it breaks the borders and the boundaries and the natural order. Moshe Rabbeinu came and knocked down the, he knocked down the door. He broke everything in the world in order to display godliness. Because we weren't yet at the stage of tikkun ola. We had to break the world in order to demonstrate holiness. But once the Torah was given to us, Torah is all about rectification. So the Torah comes to develop, to elevate, to purify, and to make the world into a godly place. That's why the final miracles of the Messianic era of Moshiach's times come in a manner where even though we experience miracles, but the miracles are camouflaged, included, and part of the natural process. Um, this year, Yud Beis Tammuz is extra special because it's 90 years since the Rebbe was redeemed. He was redeemed in Tafresh Pei Zion, which is 1927. Now we are in 2017. It's 90 years. 90, 2018. So we are we just concluding the 90th year. Okay, we're entering, we're just finishing the 90th year of his liberation. 
And what is so powerful, uh, and, we, and as we'll see in a moment, is that the number 90, 90 is a very a deep, a number intrinsically related to the redemption, the up and coming redemption. Um, we know that there are certain letters in the Aleph base that are double. And it says all the redemptions are related to the double letters. So Chav is, is, is the, the letter Chav, this Chav and, and, and the long Chav, and so on. Mem, Menatzpach, five letters. Mem, Nun, Tzadik, Chav, and Pei are letters that are, that are all have a double letter, and they're all related to the redemption. So we know that the redemption from Mitzrayim, Tzis Mitzrayim, happened through the letter Pei. Pakoid pakadati, that was the secret of the re- redemption. Pakoid pakadati means I've remembered you. And that's why Moshe Rabbeinu, who was the Goel, he was the Redeemer, was 90 years old, sorry, was 80 years old, since it's related to the letter Pei, was 80 years old when he took the, the Jewish people out of Egypt. Moshiach Tzedkenu, his revelation and his geula is connected to the Tzadik. That's why the letter Tzadik is the, the future redemption, the secret of the future redemption is not pakait pakadati, I have remembered you, but tzemach tzamachti, tzemach tzamachti, a, a plant sprouts forth. Which, by the way, tells you already the difference between the two redemptions. I have remembered you is implying that God from above is coming to bring the redemption. It's something from above. He remembers us. We're stuck. We're in a negative state. He comes to remember us. Tzemach Tzamachti implies that the Geula is like a plant. It grows forth from within the world. It's a process. It's something that happens where the world itself is purified. We are 90 years since the miracle of Yud Beis Tammuz. So the plant of Geula had 90 years to sprout. So it makes all the sense that this year we are seeing the effects of the Geula, of the redemption, in a very, 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 very powerful and open way. So, as I mentioned earlier, this year it's very hard to count the amount of miracles that have happened already for the Jewish people. And they're coming in a consecutive, they're coming very, very quickly, one after another. Since, I spoke, since last week, we have another tremendous thing. A powerful organization, an anti-Semitic organization, camouflaged in piety, was broken this, 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 this week. Literally broken. The, the UN's... Um, the UN's Department of Human Rights to, 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 to take care of human rights over the world, yeah, but it's, it's meant to look over of human rights abuse, but its entire focus was always on Israel, and only on Israel. And if there was one resolution against North Korea, or one resolution against Syria, or against uh, Sudan, and who knows where, for each one of those, there were 20 resolutions on Israel. And th- this is the way it was. And this week, the United States... Uh, led by Nikki Haley in the UN, pulled out of that and said, we're not part of this business anymore. Now, everybody was displeased with this for years. Everybody was displeased, at least in the United America and so on and so forth, were always unhappy. But no one ever did anything about it. And this was going to last forever and ever because you're not going to fight. You can't, you know, this is the UN. This is just the way it is. You make peace kind of with the idea that you have so many countries and they dislike the Jews and therefore they're going to blame and they're going to put... But this year we saw, after the consecutive miracles of pulling out of the Iran deal, and after the announcement in Yerushalayim, and after the Rebashkin release, and after the... It's non-stop, again and again and again and again and again. What are we seeing? We're seeing spectacular miracles, but remember, the main point 
It's not through some external power coming from above the world to make this happen. It's all happening somehow within the natural course or, or within the realm of nature. That is, and that's why it's amazing that we're holding now in the month of Tammuz. Now, Tammuz is a very significant month in this in this geula, in this geula effect. Tammuz is a very significant month in this geula, in this geula transformation. Why is Tammuz so powerful in this particularly? Because we know Tammuz was always a month of, of pain. Tammuz was, always, Tammuz was always a month of pain. Tammuz was always a month that was the onset of the exile. Because what's Tammuz? Tammuz, we start we're gonna, next week, Shabbos, is the 17th day of Tammuz, which if Chas V'Shalom Mashiach isn't here yet, should really be a fast, even though on Shabbos we're not going to fast. We're going to push it off to Sunday, which hopefully it's going to be pushed off forever. We will never have to fast again. Shivasa B'Tamuz is a fast day, which indicates the onset of the exile. The exile that's already going on for 2,000 years, close to 2,000 years, it all began with Shivasa B'Tamuz. That's when the Roman legions surrounded Yerushalayim. Oh, I'm sorry, they didn't surround. They did Asada B'Tavis, but what they broke, they broke in, they, 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 they were able to... to to, to break through the Chaimah, the wall of Jerusalem, the beginning of the destruction. It took them three weeks to destroy the Beis HaMikdash. So we start every year our sad period of three weeks called Beit HaMtzarim. So in order to... But we know that ultimately when Mashiach will come, Tammuz and Av are going to be the happiest months of the year. They're going to be months of... And these days, the days of the 17th of Tammuz and Tisha B'av are going to be Yahafchul Yamim Tovim. They're going to be turned over to a tremendous, powerful yom. The biggest yomtiv is going to be Shavasa Batamas and Tishaba. Which means that, really in truth, in secret, in its essence, there is great, 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 great godly spiritual potential. But meanwhile, as it is now, as we commemorate it now, it's darkness, gloom, suffering, pain, horror, and all the gullus with all the bloodshed and all the pain and suffering and tears. All of that is all related and all the continuation of the darkness of, of, of what Tammuz and Av brings. But as we've been told, that as we get closer to Mashiach, we start the process of flipping Tammuz over. To flip Tammuz into what Tammuz really needs to be. When did the beginning of the flip happen? On Yud Beis Tammuz. So Yud Beis Tammuz and Yud Gimel Tammuz, these two days, which is coming out this year, the coming Monday and Tuesday, they contain within themselves the power of the Golos flip to take Tammuz and Av and turn them into a Yom Tif. That's why we have already for the last 90 years in the exile itself, we have 90 years of a Chag HaGeula, a Yom Tif of redemption in Yud Beis and Yud Gimult, in, in Tammuz, in the month of Tammuz, that has always been such a, ba- a month of Golos, now it has already started to become a month of Giyula. Someone, however, can ask, some people have a, 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 a great resentment to talk like this or a great hesitation or are very, very unable to accept something like this because people have believe in biblical Judaism and biblical Judaism means Judaism that happened a few thousand years ago and that is meaningful significant and real and that should be celebrated as Yom Tovim. 
But when things happen in modern history, just recently, uh, people don't connect that that much with God and with absolute truth and with, and with cosmic significance. So people say, oh, okay, so this is a, it's a story. A tzaddik came out of jail. Okay, so therefore, what, what does that have to do with all the Jewish people? As I mentioned in last week's class, it has tremendous a lot with all the Jewish people. All of Soviet Jewry was saved because of this day. Not only that, the biggest and last and final monster that tried to stop observance was defeated. It collapsed. And in a sense, since, the, since 1990, when the Soviet Union collapsed, there is no persecution of Jews of observance in the entire world. So in a sense, the Gullus is over. To some degree, the exile was over in 1990 and 1991. The Rebbe said that. He said that the, the main element of Gullus is Shibud Malchiyos, where the nations do not allow you to keep mitzvahs. That element has been with us throughout history. There were always gezerahs, there were always decrees that did not allow observance. Partial observance, this kind of observance, that kind of observance, whether it was in Spain, or different places in the world that always made hardships regarding to observance. This idea that Jews are free to keep Yiddishkeit all over ended, I mean, that Yidden are free and the oppression ended, ended in 1990. So it's huge, it's huge the victory of Yud Beis Tammuz. To take it a step further, it empowered the work of the Lubavitcher Rebbe and of Chabad, because had it been Chasrashon, the previous Rebbe would have been killed then it wouldn't have had another 90 years of what we've had. And in these 90 years, we've had such a renaissance on Judaism and an explosion of observance and the entire Balchuva movement that has reached thousands of Jews and brought them back, hundreds of thousands of Jews, and brought them back to the sources through Chabad and through others that Baruch Hashem have begun to emulate the, this approach of reaching out to Jews with love and, with, and with, with affection and with positivity and not hiding or trying just to protect ourselves in very, very closed enclosures of, of, of just... Because uh, uh, till, till, till the, the Rebbe came, for, came forth and sent his shluchim out, basically the Jewish people were in retraction mode. We were trying to save. There was the Haskalah, the Enlightenment movement, the modern, the reform, the all that that was wreaking havoc on, on, on the world of observance. And we were just trying to protect ourselves. The Rebbe went and took us from defense into offense and literally changed the entire world as a result of that. And Yiddishkeit today and Jewish observance is open in the streets, everywhere across the whole world, in every city almost, and in every country across the entire planet, there is a place where a Jew can connect and there is someone out there looking for Jews to connect them to Yiddishkeit. That is awesome. That is unbelievable. And that is part of the redemption. What's, the redem- What's Mashiach's job? Mashiach's job is to collect the Jewish people and bring them back to observance and bring them ultimately to Eretz Yisrael. So this is all one process. So there's no shadow and a doubt that the previous Rebbe's redemption from Soviet Russia was the Haschala and the beginning of the redemption. It's all being empowered by this, by this week's Shabbos. Because this Shabbos is the Shabbos before, my name is Baruch and Kuliyayim. So we have to say that there's something about this Shabbos, Parshas Chukas, in which contains the, the power for this, for, this, for this uniqueness of rede- the, redemption, the redemptive power that's in the day. Also, it's everything is Bashgacha Pratis, everything by the Balshamtav teaches us that every little thing you see in your life, even the smallest, smallest, most insignificant things, you're supposed to learn something to serve Hashem. 
especially when we talk about time and space. And we, you know, every, every day is a unique moment in time, and it's, there is a certain blend that creates the unique nature and, and flavor of that time. What do I mean by that? Time, we experience time in a, with, in a, multi, in a multifaceted system of time. When we don't experience time just in a single system, but in a, a, there is more than one element that creates our experience of time. What do I mean by that? There are two major elements in time. There is time, the time of the week. Let's say right now it's Thursday. And there's also our position in time where we stand ver, in, in relation to the idea of the month. Right now, we're standing in Ches Tamas. Ches Tamas. By the way, was it Ches or Tes? Maybe I, I know today is Ches. No, that's Tes. In any case, so Ches Tammuz. This is um, so. What are these two systems? What are the two systems that we're talking about? So one system, the system of the week, is a system that God set into motion when Hashem created the world. When Hashem created the world, Hashem set the world, created the world in six days, and He made Shabbos. And we know that even the holiness included in this system, when Hashem creates the world, Hashem created nature. Nature as is, on its own, doesn't display any holiness that's during the week. But included in nature is the holy day of Shabbos. And we know that, that the holiness of Shabbos is not something that we need to produce. The holiness of Shabbos is they're embedded in creation. So this is one system of time. The system of time completely emanating from our creator who created this system of time. When it comes, however, to the second system of time is the system of the months. Over here already, we are very much involved in creating this, this time, in positioning ourselves within the framework of time when it comes to monthly time. Monthly time is related to the lunar cycle. The weekly time is related to the solar cycle. It's mainly primarily the sun. Of course, it's made up of sun and moon, but it's the, it's the system of the sun that creates day and night. And again, that's something that we don't have any inter... inter we don't contribute anything to that flow of time. The flow of time is a natural flow. We are kind of... Um, we experience it, we are um, bystanders, uh, but we're not active participants in creating that time. When it comes, however, to the month, we know that the Jewish month follows the new moon, and it was today, even though we have a set calendar, and me and you and all of us don't have to do anything to, to, uh, to create that time, but in the time when the Beis Amigdash stood, and Be'ezus Hashem, very soon Mashiach will come, time, the Jewish calendar monthly cycle is set by the Beisden. The high court would have to receive witnesses and they would have to declare any given day that that day is Rosh Chodesh. And if the Beisden did not declare it, for whatever reason witnesses didn't come, then the day would not be Rosh Chodesh and then we would push it off for the next day. Which means that we are the ones, we are participants. So, in, so even though God created the system of the moon, and therefore, the inherently, the system of lunar time related to the moon's cycle is something that Hashem has created it. But the way we count to it 
is not completed by Hashem. It's something that Hashem has given us jurisdiction over. If the Beisden even, it goes so far that if the Beisden made a mistake, and they know they made a mistake, but once they decided this is the way it is, they keep to the system of time that the Beisden had decreed, even if it was a mistake. So this is, shows us the power of our involvement. So here you have these two systems of time. Every moment of time is a moment that straddles these two systems. We're on both sides. Because in every moment of time, you, 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 you can... Um, we, we, are, we, are, we, are, we are living in a moment within the week. There's no such a thing a moment that's not part of a week. It will either be Wednesday, Thursday, Monday, Sunday, whatever, but there will always be a moment of the week. And it will always be a moment within the cycle of months, which is lunar time. What's unique is that at certain junctions, there's a very unique junction between these two. And when you understand and appreciate, and that's what we're going to do in today's class, appreciate the significance of individually each one of these cycles, what they represent, and then the unique blend that we have this upcoming Shabbos, and also next, com- next Shabbos, as we're going to see, this will give us a really appreciation of the power of redemption that's available for us over this weekend. A very, 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 very powerful combination in terms of its significance of time. So let's get a little bit better understanding in the significance of the time that, has, that is godly time and the time that we might say is human time that we create. First of all, we can see the fact that we're innovative in the Chodesh element is that it's called Chodesh. Chodesh means Chidush. Chidush means something new. We are being mechadesh. We are, we are gathering, we're giving a chidush. We're giving some kind of a newness. There is what's old, what is set. The set, the time that God has set is a set reality. It's etched in the very, in the very, in the very fabric of the world which God set. And as we said, as the Gemara says, Shabbos mugdash v'kaimah. Shabbos is holy. Shabbos kodesh. You can determine how prepared you are for Shabbos, but you can't determine the holiness of Shabbos. The holiness of Shabbos is completely given to us from above. The holiness of Rosh Chodesh is something that we, as we said earlier, we create, so much so that when we daven, we see that there's a difference when we daven in our holidays and when we say the, the liturgy, the, 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 the nusach of davening on Shabbos and in Rosh Chodesh is significantly different. On Shabbos we say, Mekadesh HaShabbos, that Hashem sanctifies Shabbos. When it, Baruch HaTashem, Mekadesh HaShabbos, Hashem sanctifies Shabbos. When it comes to the holidays, we say Mekadesh Yisrael, Vahazmanim. That God sanctifies Israel, the Jewish people, and Vahazmanim in time. Which tells us that we, the Jewish people, are the ones who sanctify. Because first Hashem gives us a sanctification. And then He asks of us that we should sanctify the time. Because all the holidays are dependent on the lunar cycle. They're dependent on the day of the month. And that has to do with us. We also see something, take that a step further. When, in terms of time, when did these two systems of time begin? <coughs> Shabbos was holy from the first week of creation. It's from 5,778 years ago when Hashem created the world. Hashem set in motion the six-day period and then Shabbos. Shabbos is holy every single week. No one, it, 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 and, and that's why it's been all the time. Even though we started observing Shabbos, observing Shabbos at a later point, but that doesn't change the fact that Shabbos was holy from the beginning comes to Rosh Chodesh, the whole concept of Rosh Chodesh as a significant day begins by Yitzhiya Mitzrayim. 
When Hashem, the first mitzvah, Hashem says to the Jewish people, this Chodesh should be Rosh Chodeshim. So Rosh Chodesh is that, um, that, that and our mitzvah is to declare, to look up at the moon, to clear the new moon, and that's how we set the Chodesh. What is the idea of Yetzirah Mitzrayim? What happened by Yetzirah Mitzrayim? By Yetzirah Mitzrayim, Hashem took out a people from Egypt, made them His people. Now we are employed by God, or we're His servants. And what's our job? To improve the world. There is the world, the way God created it, and now comes the time to make improvements on the world. And that's the job of Israel, to improve the world. Say, tikkun olam, l'sakin olam, to make a tikkun in the world, to fix the world. And when we say fixing the world, doesn't only mean fixing it from the mess that we made, when Adam and Achava made, when they destroyed the planet. And now we have to clean it up, but tikkun olam means to make it even better and even more perfect than God created it. And so when did that, so, and that's the idea of lunar time. Lunar time is, in a, is time that, that because that was God gave us this time to enable us to generate something new, to contribute something new into creation. So in weekday time, we're recipients of God's benevolence and the blessings that He's given us. In monthly time, here is where humanity can contribute. The world can add something to God's, to God's world. And that's why Chodesh time begins at the time when you have a collective group of people, a nation whose objective is to improve of what it is, to make a better world than the world that was and that it's always been. The truth is all of humanity is involved in improving the world. But the improvement that the rest of humanity can do is to help realize the natural resources that there is in the world. It's God created the world with lots of natural resources. Hashem created the world with lots of potential. And Hashem wants us to uncover that potential. So you take a, a field and you improve the field by making it grow. Uh, wheat and, 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 and whatever. So you improved it. And so is that you improve a land by building it into a city and making homes and so forth. So we're, we're constantly improving. But what are we improving? We're uncovering the potential that's there already. That is a, an objective for all of humanity. But then there is a special role that the Jewish people are here to play. They're here to introduce into the world a godliness, an infusion of light, and an involvement that is beyond creation. And that's why we find a very interesting thing. When Hashem created the world, it says, Ela These are the offspring of heaven and earth. And the word toldois is spelled with two vavs. Toldois, these are the offspring. Sages say an interesting thing, that that's the only time in the Torah in where it says, the only time in the Torah in, which, in where it says, a, the word toldois spelled full, toldois male, was when Hashem created the world. After that, every time it mentions the word toldois, for example, toldos noach, or toldos yitzchak, and so on and so forth, all the other toldoises that I mentioned in the Torah are lacking above. And why is that? So we know it's because when Hashem, to the Medrash says, because when God created the world, Hashem created the world in a perfect state. Toldois means it's, the world is perfect with completion, it's ultimate perfection. But then, man came along, and the result of the sin, and we messed it up. So since that time, we don't have a toldois, we don't have a complete world. However, it says one other place where Toldos is complete. It says, 
Eilat Toldois Peretz. Peretz, the son of Tamar. Son of Tamar and Yehuda. Peretz, we know, he's the line through where David HaMelech comes from and ultimately Mashiach Tzadkenu. So the sages say, the Medrash says, the only other place you have Toldois Male is when Peretz is born. Why? Because Peretz is going to lead the world back to it being perfect. But even further than that, Peretz, the word Peretz comes from the word Ufaratzta. And Paratzta means breaking the borders, breaking the boundaries. It means that even the boundaries, even the good, wonderful world that God created, and God did create a perfect, wonderful, beautiful world, but it's perfect, it's a limited good, it's not an infinite good. Why? Not because God is not infinitely good, because God created a creation, and creation by its very definition is finite. So the goodness that's within creation is a finite goodness. But the, the, the introduction of Mashiach into the world, the idea of parrots coming into the world, is to break, to blast down the borders of finitude, so that we can introduce into the finite world the infinite, the beligvul, the infinite, the ultimate good. And what is that going to lead to? It's going to lead to Hashemayim Achadoshim Ve'eretz Achadosha Asherani Oisei. That in the future, there's going to be a new heaven, and an, as the Navi says, and a new earth. It doesn't mean that we're going to discard the old heaven and the old earth. It means that this the world is going to receive a powerful upgrade. The earth and the heaven are going to receive a powerful upgrade. And the potential good, or the, 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 the goodness, the blessing that is going to be contained within creation, is going to be immeasurably greater than its potential that it has now. And that is going to come as a result of the chidush. Now we're going to, when we're going to live in those times, who are we going to thank for that great bracha? Who are we going to thank for it? We're going to, of course we're going to thank God. No, no, no. We're going to thank God, but we're going to thank ourselves. Because we're going to realize that Hashem is going to say, that contribution, you guys did. I made a world with limited good. I made a world of fixed goodness. Perfect world, no evil, no darkness, no concealment. Everything was nice and good. But it was a limited goodness. And now came, and that's the idea of what we said earlier, that's solar time, fixed time, the weekday time, and so forth. By the way, and I mentioned earlier that the, that the, 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 the humanity as on its own can only work with uncovering the good that was, that's within the creation. Are kind of limited by that. That's why anybody aside for the Jewish people, their calendar is... Is is I mean the I mean the truth is like say the the Muslims also have a lunar calendar, but their lunar calendar is completely lunar and it's not doesn't integrate with the solar system with the solar uh, uh, time at all. But the Gemara says the Talmud says that the nations in the world count to the sun, the Gregorian calendar. The even their months are not related to the moon, but the Jewish calendar is a moon calendar. Why? Because this power of chodesh, of chidush, of new, of breaking out of the limit of the, fi- of, of, the, of the finite limitations of creation and reaching the beligvul, the infinite, the ein sof, is a Jewish empowerment that Hashem gave the Jewish people when He took them out of Mitzrayim. What does Mitzrayim mean? Egypt means limitation. It doesn't have to be bad. It's just limitation. To come and to connect and to reach and to touch and to draw down the infinite blessing into the world. That's our chiddush, and that's our empowerment from, 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 from higher time, from lunar time. Now, each one of these two powers have a, 
have a benefit. In other words, the benefit of, of solar time, a fixed good, is that we're dealing with goodness that is always good. Because it's the way God created it. And God cr- didn't create, from Hashem came only goodness. So when Hashem created a world, He created a good world. So it's goodness that is immediately accessible. It starts off as being good. And also, it's a goodness that's very, 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 very much part of the natural existence. And that means that the, it's a goodness that is, it's, 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 it's pneumistic. It's very, very... In- the, 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 the world is one with that goodness. The chisarin, the, the, the negative, the, or the lacking of that goodness, is that it's limited goodness. We said earlier, it's not, it's not infinite. It's limited and it's good. The quality of the, of the higher goodness, of the chodesh goodness, of the, what we say earlier, the transcendental goodness, the goodness that comes as a result of the toil and labor of thousands of years of, of our contribution that we've contributed to add to the world, something that's beyond the world, comes to us through hardship. In other words, in the end it's good, but in the beginning it involves a lot of concealment, a lot of darkness, and a lot of hardship. And we're soon going to see why that is. But to reach the infinite good requires going through some corridors of darkness and eventually reaching that infinite good. So in that sense, there is a chisarin, it's lacking. Because you don't have the good immediately, it's not accessible, it's something that will require a lot of work and a lot of labor. And also, even when we reach that goodness and we touch that infinite good, being that we are essentially finite, so it's, sometimes it's hard to acclimate and to internalize that, that, that goodness. So sometimes what can happen is that that good remains makif, it remains in com- it remains above us, it doesn't really permeate and become who we are. But the quality of that good is that we're dealing with the infinite, boundless good of God, that is infinitely, that is in sof, and to its goodness there's no limit. So there is, there is a, a quality to both. So therefore, the ultimate objective is that there shouldn't remain two separate realities. A reality of fixed natural good and a reality of supernatural infinite good. And each one of them remains in its own, in its own space. The, the, the point and the purpose of everything is if we can take these two, the fusion of good, good from above and good from below, the good from above is the good that the blessings that God gives the world when He gives us Shabbos Kodesh. He gives us Shabbos. Right? It's a goodness that God gives to the world. But it's as we said earlier, it's a limited good. And that, we should be able to attach that goodness with the good that comes from below, from our toils and our efforts of the mitzvahs that we do, which we reach up into the Ein Sof and into the infinite and touch that greater good, which as we said earlier, first might involve... Some, some penetrating through veils of darkness in order to reach into that inner, inner, hidden, hidden, deeper good. But eventually when we reach that good, that we should be able to take that good and make it, fuse it together, bring about a powerful fusion between what we call the, the natural and the supernatural, between the, 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 the current and the present and what is beyond, and fuse the two together. 
so that even that which is transcendental is first of all visibly good and also something that we completely can internalize and become one with. And that's quite a feat and that's the objective and that's what it's all about. Bringing these two powers together. So now that's what we're going to see is the uniqueness of Shabbos this week where this week's Shabbos is going to be the seventh day on the weekly calendar. That happens every Shabbos. But it's the tenth day on the Chodesh calendar. Let's take a look at these two numbers, seven and ten, and see the significance of them. Seven is a number. Seven is a number that represents, as we said earlier, the good that God created when God created the world. Because when Hashem created the world, Hashem created the world in seven days. As we discussed in other classes, seven is really the perfection of nature on all levels. Time is seven, seven days. Space is also seven. There's the six directions and there's the center. And we also have seven notes in music. We have seven colors in the rainbow. Everything in our world is seven. There are seven human emotions which derive from the seven divine emotions. And that's where this, and when, since Hashem created the world from the seven spherot, from chesed all the way down to malchus, to, to, to kingship, it's as a result of that that the, the, the world's perfection is a perfection of seven. And that's why we know Shabbos Kodesh, the seventh day, is holy. But then we know, and also in, uh, to add to that, in terms of humanity, there are, there are seven continents. Isn't that interesting? There are seven seas. There are seven continents. And there are 70 nations. And there are seven primary nations living in the land of Israel initially, that the Jewish people had to conquer. So this is all the seven, seven, sevens as all the sevens line up. But then there is what is higher than the number seven. We discussed many times that the number eight represents the miraculous, the infinite, the, the believable. But it's not really only eight, it's eight, nine, and ten. It's three numbers. It's those three numbers, eight, nine, and ten, that represent the infinite transcendental. And how do we see that? Because we know that in addition to the seven spheros, there's another three spheros. The other three spheros are called Chachma, Bina, and Das, which are the intellectual spheros. Chachma is wisdom, Bina is understanding, Das is knowledge. Those three spheros are above and beyond creation. They're God's mind. And just like a person in a human being, the emotions of a person are always in relationship to others. A person's emotions are always in relationship to others What's an emotion? How I'm feeling towards someone else, towards something outside of me. I love it, I dislike it, I'm, I'm, I'm connecting to it, whatever, whatever the emotion is, I'm subservient to it, I surrender to it, I am per, persevering over it, I triumph over it, whatever the emotion is, but it's an emotion, you versus someone else. Intelligence, mochen, intellect and mind is something private. It's the private world of the thinker. It's their own space. So with God, we can understand that His emotions are in relationship to a world. And since God creates the world and the world is meant to be finite, the energy of God's emotions relate to the finite. So the holiness of Shabbos, which is related to the number seven, relates to a certain finite holiness, not an infinite holiness. But then the number ten, which includes the three mochen, chachma binadas, and these three the mochen. The mochen is the intellect. 
And the intellect is, as it says, Torah Kadmala Olam, Torah comes from God's mind, is above the world and above creation, way above the creation, infinitely above the creation. And therefore it represents a goodness. God is not limiting his goodness to the scope of creation, but it's the higher of goodness. This is the difference between Shabbos Kodesh and Ha'asiri Yiyah Kodesh. It says that in the, in, the, in the end of Sefer Vayikra that it was a mitzvah to tithe the animals. So what you would do is you would let animal the way they would let the, the animals go out of the pen and then the tenth one the person would strike it with a little uh, uh, with, a, with a stick that had some paint on it and he would announce this one is Kodesh. This is holy. Tenth animal is holy. It's possible says Asiri Kodesh, which indicates that number ten is connecting to Kodesh, to holy. The holiness of number ten is far superior to the holiness than Shabbos. Maybe that can be the reason, even though I didn't see this in the talk. The reason why we say Yom Kippur is the tenth day, and it's called Shabbos Shabbosin. It's the Shabbos of Shabbos, and it's much higher. And, but this holiness, again, we make it holy. The, 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 the man counts ten, and the tenth one he strikes, and it becomes holy. Because even though we're talking about a holiness in God, we're talking about a transcendental level of goodness that is so deep, and therefore it's so personal to God, so it's totally beyond the creation. Ah, but that's the whole chiddush that we're talking about earlier. The chiddush, the novelty of all the work and labor that we have is that we draw God into a relationship with the creation that He created. That this creation shouldn't only be a beautiful creation, but this, wor- this creation should be a godly creation. A creation where Hashem manifests Himself as He comes down to reside within this world. So, you got, so these, are the two, these are the two dimensions over here. You have the way God created the world and we're beneficiaries of His goodness. For that, he only gives us his external self, which is his level of goodness that's finite, which is the level of number seven. If we want to access God's inner, innermost, deeper self, we need to coax him into a relationship through our struggling to fulfill his will in this world, through the mitzvahs that we do. And that's the contribution that we're talking about. That's how we reach the transcendental number ten. It could be, to add to that also, Yom Kippur we're saying, is that goodness, that transcendental goodness? And that's why it's connected to the number 10. And, how to, and what is the essence of Yom Kippur? Yom Kippur is tshuva. Yom Kippur is all about the Jewish people made, they did a sin, we fell into darkness. And like all the other Yom Tovim, you can say they're Yom Tovim that were given to us by God. But Yom Kippur, even though it was given to us by Hashem, it's still a Yom that we created because we created it through our sin and our tshuva, and after we did tshuva, God revealed to Moshe, he's going to accept their tshuva through Yom Kippur. So again, here you see number 10, the holiness of number 10, is a chidush type of goodness. It's a, it's a higher goodness. Now we see something really, really fascinating. If you take the number 10, and the number 7, and as we said last week, and we just, we just said, we said earlier in the class, the point is not to remain with two separate, separate powers individually. The point over here is the fusion of both of them. That the natural goodness should become one with the transcendental goodness. And the transcendental goodness therefore should permeate us in the same way that our intrinsic blessings or intrinsic 
qualities that we have naturally, we should be able to take in this supernatural energy, and that too should become part of us. It's the unification of both together. So there, and that's the ultimate goodness. Therefore, in Hebrew, what's the, what's the word for good? Tov. Tov means good. And the number, and, what is, and if you t- add up the letters of Tov, Tes, Vav, and Vez, you get 17. 7 and 10 give you Tov. The ultimate Tov, the ultimate goodness, is the combination of these two goodnesses. Or like the Gemara, like, 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 like it says by the, in creation, it says, when Hashem created the world, amazing, it says two times Kitov. And, Rashi, and, the, and the Gemara says, Tov l'ashamayim, Tov l'abriyos. It's good to heaven and good to earth. Good to heaven means the goodness that heaven created, that God created, but it's a fixed goodness. Tov l'abriyos means the goodness that we innovate, creation, through our struggles, through our contributions. And that's the second kind of a good. That reaches the higher good, the good of ten. Together we forge them together, we get 17. The uniqueness of this Shabbos, the uniqueness of this Shabbos, is that on this Shabbos, we have a combination of 7 and 10. Because on Shabbos, on the weekday, it's the 7th day. But in terms of Chodesh Tammuz, it's the 10th day of Tammuz. And both of them come together to forge one moment of time. Because the entire Shabbos, we're going to be living in time that is both a time in the week of 7 and a time of 10 in, in, in the month, so we have 10 and 7, making it the ultimate toiv, making it the ultimate good, which is messianic goodness, Mashiach goodness, the ultimate fusion of these two. Now, let's just take a look a little bit, a little bit deeper. In order for we, the Jewish people, to be able to make this chidush, in order for the Jewish people to be, be able to be empowered to be able to draw down the 10th dimension, the dimension of godliness that is higher and and superior than creation, we need, God had to give us that power as well, everything we receive from Him. So what He does is like this, He he creates the world with a certain goodness, and that's one thing, but hidden inside the finite goodness that Hashem created in the world, He hid within it, a secret potential that from within the world we can unlock the infinite goodness that's transcendental and beyond the world. Where do we see that? We said before the creation is a creation of seven. That's what the Torah tells us. But then come the sages, the Chachamim. And when the Chachamim discuss creation, they find something amazing. In Pirkei Avis, what do the sages say? This week's Pirkei Avis, with ten utterances the world is created suddenly we look at the world and we see the world as a number ten not as a number seven so what do we have over here this is oh but take a look who were the ones who came up and discovered the tenth dimension in a world that inherently is a, is a world of seven this came from the sages because in Torah itself we have two Torahs we have Torah Shabiksav the written Torah the, or, the written Torah, Torah given to us by God, and then we have Torah Shabal Peh, the oral Torah. What's the difference between Torah Shabiksav and Torah Shabal Peh? Torah Shabiksav is Torah that we can't change anything in. Torah Shabiksav is a very fixed holiness. You can't take out a Sefer Torah and decide that eh, it sounds a little better if we just add a couple of letters here and there. 
We can't do that. And we will bake the whole Sefer Torah puzzle. You invalidate it. The Torah has to be exactly and accurately the way God gave us the Torah. But then we have Torah Shabbat Peh. What's Torah Shabbat Peh? The sages came and explored the hidden meaning in the, in the Pesukim. And did they come up with something new? Of course they came up with something new. What did they come up with? They came up with observance that makes Judaism so rich. If we would only have Torah Shabbat Peh, how would we observe Shabbos? What would be our, the content of it? We would, it would be so limited. The sages brought us infinite treasures as they uncovered every mitzvah has so many details and details of details uncovered. Why? Because as we said before, we have to be machadish. We need to come up with a chidosh. God allows us to add more than what there is. So in creation itself, the sages also found from Torah Shabbat, which is the innovation of the, us, of the world, of the rabbis, of creation, of the Jewish people primarily. What's our innovation? Our innovation is to discover within creation the number 10 that's higher than number 7, which is the seven, which is the holiness of the fixed Shabbos. That's why the sages come and discover the 10 utterances that God created, which is far and beyond the seven days of the week. Which by the way in Torah too, we know that Torah Shabbat has five books. But really, the sages say it's really seven books. Because in Pashas Bamidbar, there is a little two psukim of Ahib and which is, they say is a safer onto its own. Based on that, you have Bereshah Shmois Vayikra, Bamidbar Aleph, Bamidbar Beis, Bamidbar Gimel, and then Devarim. So you really have seven Chatzva Amodel Shiva. There are seven Amudim of Torah. Again, that's the holiness from Torah as it comes from below. We, the Jewish people, bring forth through our chidush, through Torah Shabbat Peh, a much deeper, higher, infinite godliness, chidush, moon, levana, all, all new light, a much higher revelation. And once we discover these two dimensions in, to- in creation, that Hashem already put into creation, Masara Mamaris, that gives the Jewish people the koyach, the power, to add even more innovation than the power of ten that's in, that's in creation. How do you know that? Because even though Hashem created the world with ten mamaris, but when Mashiach will come, and we're going to have the culmination of our work, we're not just going to have a full discovery of our creation, of the heaven and earth and our creation. There's going to be, as I said earlier, a new heaven and a new earth. That means that our Chiddush is more than the Chiddush of 10 that's within creation. In creation too, Hashem empowers us to innovate. But we outdo Him, so to speak, in our innovation. Because He gives us the power to truly innovate. Something that He didn't give us. So we bring the world to a new world. An Olam Chadash, an Eretz HaChadash, HaShemayim HaChadash. But that too, we, our empowerment came from the Torah. But again, came came from Hashem, from Hashem putting it into creation, but it was discovered in Torah through who? Through the part of Torah, that's the innovative part of Torah, through the Torah Shemot. So all this works together. This will also reflect the, the two Eretz Yisroels that the Jewish people possess. There was one Eretz Yisroel that God gave us, and there was the second Eretz Yisroel that we have produced as a result of our, of our labor and our work. Where do we see that? 
when the Jewish people came into Eretz Yisrael the first time, Hashem gave them the land of seven nations. Eretz Yisrael, the holy Eretz Yisrael, corresponding to six days of the week, and Shabbos, Kodesh. So we have the land of the seven nations, which we know the land of the seven nations, we said earlier, correspond to the seven emotions of Hashem, so forth. Now we know when Mashiach will come, the Jewish people are going to annex to the land of Israel and other three countries. Ammon and Moab and Edom, which in Bereshus they are referred to as Keni, Knizi, and Kadmoni. These three nations, Keni, Knizi, and Kadmoni, they represent, they represent, they, they bring the sum totality to the number 10. So now we have 10 nations. So what does that mean? The holiness of the land of Israel is stemming from the level 10, not the level 7. And again, what's the number 10? What's ten, what does 10 possess that 7 doesn't? 10 represents the godly, infinite dimension that is higher than creation. But we will have it finally. Also, we know that in the Beis Amigdash, another example for this, in the Beis Amigdash, they had a kinor, they had a harp. In the days of David HaMelech, in the days of the Beis Amigdash, of the past, of seven strands. When Mashiach will come, the kinor of Olam Haba, first it says eight, and eventually it says it's going to have ten notes. What is the idea? Because it's going to introduce level eight, nine, and ten, which is, these are the moichen, Bina, Chachma, and Keser, or Chachma, Bina, Das, whichever way you look at it, and that's going to be that transcendental level, that infinite level that's going to be when Mashiach comes. Why only when Mashiach comes? Because very, very, because when we went out of Mitzrayim, we were beneficiaries of God's work. It wasn't our, we didn't do anything yet. So we only were able to get the holiness that God can give us when He gives. And what does He give? A finite holiness. But since then, we went into exile for thousands of years, almost 2,000 years, and we burrowed through the darkness and through the difficulties and through the hardships, and we did a whole bunch of Torah and mitzvahs in all, in all the most challenging situations. As a result of that, we reach the transcendental, the higher, the infinite, which is number 10. So that's Eretz Yisrael of the future. And by the way, Torah as well has two dimensions. In addition to what I said earlier, Torah Shebeksav and Torah Shebalpeh, the Torah itself has two Torahs. There is the Torah of the past and the Torah of Mashiach. As the Pasuk says, Torah Chadasha Me'iti Teitzei, the new Torah will come out from God. So, and what's that? What's the new Torah that's going to come out from Hashem? the deepest secrets of the Torah. And what is the novelty of the deepest soydays, the deepest secrets of the Torah? It's God's private Torah. The Torah that Hashem gave in Har Sinai is a Torah, the revealed part of the Torah, is the Torah as it is, it's also Hashem's Torah, but it is as it is relatable to humanity, it's as it is relatable to the world. What, and that's why when you learn the Torah, what does it deal with? It deals with living our lives in accordance to God's will in this world. Torah tells you how to get dressed. Torah tells you how, you can, how to eat. Torah tells you how to do business. Torah, Torah tells you how to, how to uh, act fairly in every situation. So Torah gives you, the revealed part of the Torah, a guide to physical life in accordance to the way we ought to live and so on and so forth. So it's Hashem re- relating His wisdom, but His, his a wisdom as it is already contracted and adapted to our reality. Hashem's private side of Torah, 
his infinite pleasure that the Torah is his delight and his pleasure that God has not revealed to us and that's only going to be revealed when Mashiach comes and the Torah we're going to learn then is going to be Torah about God not about us it's going to be about us because we and Hashem are going to be completely merged at that time but it's Hashem's deepest inner 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 thoughts that's the Torah Chadasha that's Pneumius Torah the inner part of the Torah and now we understand why that Torah cannot be revealed until Mashiach comes because that level we only reach through our innovation let's always get back to that point there is, there is the fixed goodness that God gives us and then Hashem wants us to make a chidush. So through our work, we, we reach the ultimate gilui of Torah, the Torah of Mashiach. But the Torah of Mashiach itself starts to reveal itself in the end of days before Mashiach comes. And that's the revelation of Pnimi Torah of, of Hasidus. And that's why for those people who have a question, they don't understand how can it be if this is so true and so real, how come the Go'onim, the Rishonim, the Tanoim, the Amaroim, we don't, you know, we don't see them learning it, talking about it, and so on and so forth. How do you have something better than the tradition that we've had before? People have an objection to this. And Luchur, it's a valid uh, objection. How can you have today's day something more than our Babis and Zaydis had 600 years ago, 500 years ago, 400 years ago? Or for people that haven't been exposed to Hasidus, how can I have something today that my father didn't do? Or my grandmother didn't do? My grandfather didn't do? I don't come from a Hasidic home. I don't come from a Hasidic... I should embrace this Torah and start learning uh, Tanya. I should start learning Memorim. I should start learning... They feel that this doesn't belong to them. And how can it be... The answer is, the whole, this, this Torah is given to us today as a result of our work and our achievements. So therefore, dafka, in the latter time the Torah comes. It doesn't come in the early days. Because in the early days we had godly revelation, but it was all a gift from Hashem, from above, and we were at the receiving end. This is the Torah that we bring forth from Hashem as a result of our stimulating Him through all of our work, brings us the ultimate Torah, the deeper Torah, the Torah Chadasha, the tenth dimension of Torah, the, the three above the seven. So again, to a certain degree, we have that dimension already in Torah Shabal Peh in general. But even stronger, that higher dimension of the three Moichen that are beyond, is connect, of the Chabad, Chachma Bin Adas, is connected dafka to futuristic Revelation, which comes about as a result of the darkness. And therefore, as the generations get darker, there is more light. Because the more, the, the work that we do in, from within the darkness, and the darker it is, stimulates greater revelation. The more chiddush we make, the more chiddush we make, in the lower we are, and we're doing our avodah, that's more of chiddush, that creates more chiddush from above. So that's what explains that why in such dark times, we have so much light. Now we can also appreciate one last and final idea. How all this is a hachana for next week's Shabbos, which is the 17th day of Tammuz. Again, number 17. Which is toiv. Now you ask the question, give out, 17th of Tammuz is the beginning of the whole exile. This is the root of Golas. How can it fall out on a day of 17, which is toiv? The answer is until Shavasa Batamas, we were probing, until Shavasa Batamas, until the exile began, we were primarily living in a world of seven. So we had goodness, but Hashem said, the good that you have is not the real, real good. I want to really. So for that, however, you have to enter into a place of pain and suffering. In Hasidus, it explains, let me just very briefly say something, which this really is a whole class. We discussed this many times. 
that really, if we take a look in the world, we have good things and we have good days and good things that happen in our lives and we have rough things and tough things. And we know that as a Jew, we're supposed to thank Hashem for both. We have to thank Hashem for bad things. And the Gemara says we're supposed to be makabalit b'simcha. So the Chassidah, the Alter Rebbe asks the question in Tanya, what do you mean to, to accept it with joy? You're suffering. So the Alter Rebbe says there's two types of good that God has. There is a good that's called revealed good, and then there is a good that's called concealed good. There's nothing bad. Hashem never ever delivers anything bad. From Him doesn't come any bad. And therefore there's no bad, there's only good. But there's two levels of good. There is a good that's on a level that we can comprehend, and then there is a mysterious and hidden good that we don't understand now, one day we'll understand its ultimate goodness. When God wants to deal with us in a way that we can appreciate the goodness, then He's giving us a smaller good. He's giving us little pieces of good. But when Hashem wants to give us a very deep hug, He loves us so much, and He wants to hug the person, so He exposes the person to a side, to, to, a, to a higher goodness, but, a, a, but in our minds, we can't understand it, and it comes, it, we experience it as pain and suffering, as something tragic, as something terrible, and it hurts, but really, as the Alter Rebbe explains, it's really a hug from God on a level that we don't understand. So again, what's the point? So what do we see from here? That pain and suffering is connected to the transcendental higher good of God's private self. That we spoke before. The moichen, that's why it actually says in the Pasuk, Ashrei HaGever, praised is the person. Renu Ka, that gets rebuked by Yudke. So we know in Hashem, why doesn't it say, Ashrei HaGever, Renu, praises the person that is rebuked, that goes through Yasurim, suffering. Why doesn't it say, Yudke Vavke, the tetragrammaton, it doesn't say that it says Yudke. So it says in Chassidus, the Alter Rebbe says in Tanya, Perik Chavav, he says, the goodness, the Yudke Vavke has two parts. The Vav and the He, the latter two letters, are Hashem's emotions. The six emotions and Malchus are the Vav and the He. That's seven. The mention of seven is the Vav and the He. The Yudke is Hashem's Chachma and Bina. Yud is Chachma, which is the Chabad, which is the transcendental, which is Hashem's private self that, that the world can't receive as long as the world is finite. We can't receive it. Until what? But when Hashem wants to give us a taste of something bigger than, introduce into our lives something higher from the mochen, from the transcendental, that's yudke, that's higher. And that will explain why the golos in Shavasa Batamas is called toiv. Because that's when a whole new level of good came to the world. A goodness that required a Beis Amigdash to, de- to be destroyed, the Jewish people going into an exile that we still haven't come out of yet, and so much darkness and so much misery and so much pain in which we cry Ad Masai, Ad Masai, Ad Masai yet at the same time take a look at how phenomenal we've, we've, we've survived we've came out intact we've grown we're still powerful Jews we're excited to be hidden we've spread the entire world with light and holiness we're marching towards the Giyula unbelievable what we've, achi- what we've, what we've achieved so Yud Zayin Tammuz represents the ultimate completion of goodness. It's the higher good. It's where the good of seven isn't enough. We have to add the good of ten. And together we get seventeen. And we can also see this. I'll add to that one little thing. What was the first event that happened in Yud Zayin Tammuz? Was the Jews made the golden calf? But that was not really. That happened the day before. On Yud Zayin Tammuz was Moshe broke the luchos. Moshe shattered the luchos. The tablets. Which is a terrible thing. The tablets were broken. And that's the source. Once the Torah is broken, it leads that the world should break. 
But Chazal say that Hashem told the Moshe Rabbeinu quietly on the side, I know I really got upset and I really made a big fuss about this, but Yasher Koach Shabarta. Thank you for breaking it. And what does Hashem say? Yasher Kochacha. Your strength. Because the breaking of the Luchos is now going to allow for you to show your strength. Koyachacha, the Koyach of the creation, the Koyach of the Jewish people, the Koyach from below. If you're receiving my Torah from above, I'm giving you Torah, but it's me giving you Torah. So it's a finite goodness. It's my external self that I can reveal to you when I am revealing to you. But when you decide to probe my inner goodness, and that means allowing yourself to come into a place where you're not going to be comfortable. A place when you're going to experience pain and suffering and darkness and what seems to be abandonment and concealment. But no, 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 that I'm not. I'm only allowing you to come into a deeper intimacy with me to reach the higher goodness. That's why we find in the Luchas itself, when we got the second Luchas, and it says that the second Luchas contained within it much more than the first Luchas. If the Jewish people would have only had the first Luchas, it says we would have only had Chumash. But now that we got the second Luchas, Hashem says, I'm giving you Navi, I'm giving you Navi, all the Neviim, and Torah Shabal Pem, Adrashas Agat, that's the whole point. Once you break out from the limited goodness, and you're willing to enter into uncharted territories, and to step into a place where you don't have God holding you by the hand and in a visible way. He's holding you, but in a way that it seems like He's letting you go on your own, but Hashem is calling down to us all the time. Hashem is cheering each and every one of us. You can do it. You can look up here and say, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. You can do it on your own, and you can even outdo me. You can even do better than me. And that's the ultimate. It's the ultimate goodness coming from Shavasa Batamas. But next week, Shavasa Batamas. But the problem is, and that's why Shavasa Batamas, eventually, as I said in the beginning, Shavasa Batamas eventually in the end of days is going to be a day of joy. Because ultimately, when we, when we go through the external hardship and we reach, we finally get to the full, we uncover the deepest jewels, the deepest godliness. And even today's days, when Shavasa Batamas is a day of fasting, we know that it's called Yom Ratzon, it's called the day of, of goodwill. That means a day of tshuva. It's a day of deeper connection to God. It's just externally, it, there's a hardship to it. There's a pain. There's a fast to it. There's a negativity to it. But next week, Shabbos, Shavas Abitamos comes out on Shabbos. So what does Shabbos do to Shavas Abitamos? It doesn't allow us to fast. See? Shavas Abitamos is not going to allow us to fast. Why? Because the hidden good of Shavas Abitamos is already going to be revealed. So now we have this incredible fusion of Shabbos where things are good from above where there's no room for any suffering or any pain or any darkness we also have Shavas HaBetamos which is a deeper good but in this case it's a fusion of the two it's a fusion of the two of them together and they, they the Rebbe says an amazing thing they all receive their energy from this Shabbos the mile of this Shabbos is we also have 17 but this Shabbos we have 17 while the Luchas are still intact, the first Luchas. Which means it's possible to get to the ultimate good without having to go necessarily through the darkness. If only, as we said, a tzaddik can do tshuva. We don't need to, you don't have to go fall into the deepest depth of darkness to do tshuva. Let's do tshuva while we're tzaddikim. That kind of an idea. It's the fusion of the higher good and the lower good as the two of them come together in perfect harmony as the two of them come together in perfect harmony and a perfect oneness and a perfect greatness. This will understand why this Shabbos, as we said, also gives the power for Yud Beis Tamas.
as I mentioned all the way at the beginning. Because Yud Beis Tammuz is the day in which we start seeing the revelations of the great light of 17 that starts coming to the world, the ultimate toiv. Because as we said earlier, again, Pnimi Satora is the, is the final candy, it's the final gift, the innermost Torah that is revealed when Mashiach comes, which started to be revealed on Yud Beis Tammuz and reaches its, its, its full realization with the coming of Mashiach, um, and as we said earlier, this is 90 years of Yud Beis Tammuz, so let the Tzemach Tzemachti, the complete sprouting of it, sprout forth in all of its light and all of its intensity. May we see the redemption happen now, now, now. Oh, 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 oh,